Hi, everyone. Welcome to the B++ podcast, a podcast where we speak to leaders, technology leaders, thought leaders, leaders from around the world. And today I'm very happy to welcome our guest, Kristen Buchanan, who is the CEO of Edify. Edify is a frictionless way to onboard software engineers. So when I first found out about Edify and Kristen, I just realized that she's going to be our savior because that's, uh, you know, an area that we deal with on an everyday basis, onboarding engineers after engineers. Years. And some of the things that the solution does is exactly the kind of solutions that a lot of tech companies and now that every company is a tech company. So, you know, a solution that a lot of uh, people can use. Kristen, thank you so much uh, for being here. Abby, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So just to understand uh, for the listeners as well. So your company is called Edify and you have a very interesting product, which is called Eddy, uh, you know, which is a Slack native application. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about what Eddie does? Absolutely. So Eddie, as you mentioned, uh, is a bot that actually lives inside of Slack. And uh, that is uh, kind of the, the place that most developers are. A lot of developers that we know, in fact, many of the hundreds that we've interviewed over the years, actually have a whole monitor dedicated to Slack. And that's often how they're running their daily workflows. And so when we went to design a product to solve the pain points around uh, the new hire onboarding process, specifically in software engineering teams, mm. we realized that any product that we built for our customers needed to live in their daily workflow. So we chose to build inside of a chat tool like Slack. Um, right. One day soon, we'll also be on Microsoft Teams. But that decision really allowed us to build the flexibility of a bot that's an intelligent learning bot that can get better over time and, and help engineers really onboard well into their new company uh, and also into their new projects and, and all of the code that they need to be comfortable with. Sure. And, and what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen in the onboarding process, right? In the sense, I mean, I can think of a thousand, but I'm not an engineer, so, but you are. So please, you know, uh, maybe you can share a bit more because I, I you know, as, as a business person, I look at our engineers and I can see what their frustration is and I can see what their challenges are, but I would be lying if I said that I completely understand what they are going through and what those challenges are. So maybe you can maybe share a bit more about that. Absolutely. Well, you know, some days I feel like I am an engineer, but it's really more that I play one on TV. I've spent the last seven years working in and around software engineering teams and um, a long time ago did learn how to code. But um, I think what I have learned over the years is more of a translator between sort of most of the business, as you talked about, and the engineering team. And what I've come to realize with thousands of engineers all across the world from different countries, from different types of businesses, whether it's e-commerce or, um, you know, fashion or uh, back-end engineering, you know, databases, cloud, any of those sorts of areas, is that there are problems for three different groups of people. There are problems for an engineering manager, so the mm -hmm. person who's actually helping to hire and then supposedly onboard and support that new engineer. There right. are, of course, problems for the new engineer themselves when they right. start. Yeah. Um, and then the third group of people is actually the existing team that the engineer is actually joining. Um, yeah. And I would, I'll give you kind of the top one problem for each of those things. So your engineering manager is really frustrated that they have to rebuild their checklist. So a lot of engineering managers have this checklist. It's either on Google Docs or it's a GitHub repo or Confluence page, wherever they keep their knowledge. Right. 
and it gets out of date very quickly because much as I love them, engineers are usually not documentation people. So they like, they don't like to really uh, write things down. And so that's a key way of communicating with a new person, right? So the manager often has to check that these things are updated and it's a real pain for them. And then of course, for the new hire, it's really challenging when you join a company, whether you're in person, like most of us used to be, or now remote where everybody is joining remote. And in fact, so many people haven't even met their hiring manager in person anymore. Um, When you're in your home office or your home closet, wherever you're trying to work from, you can't look around and say, okay, who can help me with this problem? Because a new hire doesn't have any context about where to find information, who to ask, how they should even ask. They often feel like their questions are stupid and they're really not, right? They, They don't know how to do it. And then of course, for the existing team, those are senior engineers who are busy building the product, right? They're, they've acclimated whether their onboarding was good or not. They're there and functioning. And when that new hire comes and asks questions, those questions to the, the existing team often feel repetitive or maybe kind of dumb, quote unquote. And it's hard for that engineer uh, who is a senior team member to focus on their actual work. And so often you see the team's velocity, the, the rate at which they ship new features really drop when they're onboarding new hires. So it's certainly a challenging experience for everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. What you just described was what I call a Monday or a Tuesday or any other day. <laughs> because I see that all the time, you know, for, and, and thank you for sort of, you know, painting that uh, scenario so well, you know, from all the different perspectives, because I, I don't think anyone could have sort of crystallized it uh, that well from the, you know, the engineering manager and to the, you know, and again, I always wonder why are the new engineers not asking questions exactly because when they do ask questions, then the senior engineers are getting annoyed about the questions that they are asking and, and they always wonder couldn't they just figure this out themselves and you know so all of those things so yeah absolutely and 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 so you know i can't wait to uh tell our team that there is hope out there and there is a product that can you know save them from their daily struggles and uh and you know i, I just feel you know i've been saying that for years and uh you know uh you know i'm so glad that you identified that problem and did something about it that i i believe that you know we hired the most complex competent people and and the the problem lies somewhere and i've seen that across organizations we work with like you know 200 billion dollar companies the same problems exist there it's just that there is some there are gaps there are gaps in terms of and the biggest uh, problem arises, like you mentioned, around onboarding new engineers because attrition rates are high. There are always people coming and going, and then project timelines are pushed back again and again. And 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 the amount of disruption that it causes is is crazy. And you know, I'm sure if somebody were to assign a dollar value to it, it would probably be like trillions of dollars or something. But uh, it, it, it's crazy. So you know, people may not understand. People may be listening to this conversation, although you know, most of our listeners are business leaders so they would understand but for those of them who are not really you know involved with software engineering and building new products you know they may be wondering what are these two people talking about right there are bigger problems in the world i think this is a very very big problem and i'm glad that you're doing something about it so uh, so tell me a bit more about how sort of eddie works in terms of onboarding new engineers and the three problems that you outlined for, you know, each of the groups, how does it solve uh, some of those problems? Yeah, I appreciate that, Abby. And 
One thing I, I appreciate so much that you brought up the sort of business problem. And in fact, um, we, we did some research and we found that in 2018 alone, that problem of engineering churn cost $22 billion just in the United States. Wow. It wasn't even global. We couldn't actually find enough research. Yeah. Um, but we know that the United States is actually quite a small market for software engineering. And so um, it's got to be more elsewhere in the world. Yeah. And so I think you're, you're absolutely right that this is a huge business problem. And it's often delayed, right? Because people don't feel it until someone leaves their team yeah. Um, yeah. or until a project timeline does slip or a product is and able to be shipped properly, um, or there are a bunch of bugs in, in the product because right. an, an engineer didn't understand exactly how to make it work. So I think you're absolutely right. But to your to your question about how Edify works, so um, as we've talked about, Eddie, Eddie allows an engineering manager uh, to build an onboarding program, and we think about onboarding as a three-layer cake. So imagine that you know, hopefully you like cake, and um, imagine your favorite cake. You've got three different layers, and at the very top you have corporate onboarding. So that's what HR is responsible for. Um, that's your payroll, benefits, culture of the company, all of that key stuff, security, things like that. And then you go one layer down and that's department, right? So let's say you and I are both starting a new job on Monday and you're gonna start in the finance department, I'm gonna start in marketing or you're gonna start in engineering, for example. We would each get onboarding or should get onboarding that is specific to our department. Right. And then once we get down into that third layer, we even get team onboarding. So let's imagine that you're starting in the engineering team and there are maybe three different teams inside of that engineering organization, three different products or even three different squads. And you might start on one and that onboarding would be tailored to that particular product or team that you're joining. Mm. Um, and that's that's really the, the sort of recipe for the, a great onboarding experience for a new hire so that they understand the company, the organization that they're in, and the team and the product that they're working on. So Edify works at that team and that department level. And right. so it allows an engineering manager to build a very technical, very specific onboarding program. It takes about an hour, so it's not very long at all. And in fact, they can take their existing checklists. Like I mentioned earlier, most mm -hmm. managers have this list of 50 links. They're just links. They don't have a lot of context. And what Edify has done, I actually ran another business for about seven years prior to building this startup. And in that, that experience, I found there were over 400 different what we call learning touch points right. uh, that are relevant to software engineers. And they're in four different categories. So product, process, tech and tooling, and then finally professional expectations. So Eddie is actually pulling about 70 to 100 key questions out of that big database that are tailored to this company. So it is intelligent enough to know um, what kind of team this is, what kind of product it is, and it gives the most important questions to the manager. The manager can answer those questions or drop in links to existing documentation. Um, they can even skip it, which is kind of cool. And Eddie is taking all that information and creating the onboarding plan in the background. And that manager only has to build that onboarding plan one time because Eddie will actually evolve the program over the life of that team later. So right. once that onboarding plan is created, a new hire can be onboarded any time, right? So let's say you create it on Sunday night, you have a new hire on Monday, Eddie can run for that new hire Monday morning. Right. So every day for the new hire's first 30 days, Eddie is going to greet the new hire on Slack in the morning um, in their local time. 
and uh, give them a list of tasks or readings or activities, people to meet, and give them time throughout the day to do that. And then at the end of that day, toward that person's kind of working hours as they wrap up, Eddie's going to check back in with the new hire and say, Abby, how did you do today? Did you get this done? Did you get that done? Um, and then you can tell Eddie, Eddie, you know, yes, I did get it done or no, I didn't. And if you tell Eddie no, it'll actually give you some opportunities to say why. So maybe you needed more time or maybe you need help with it. And one of my favorite features and what we found is some of our customers' favorite features is let's say you do need help with something. Eddie's actually going to go to your buddy that your manager actually named for you in Slack um, and say, hey, Abby needs help with this. Are you the right person to help them? And Eddie will then make that connection, uh, connect inside of Slack for you and that new hire or you and that buddy. And so that new hire is getting connected to the right subject matter expert to help them solve that problem. So what we found is that this product, this process inside of Eddie actually gets a new hire onboarded in one month, which is three times faster than the average time to productivity for new hire, uh, which is crazy. We, we think, you know, we interview engineering managers all the time and we ask them, how long do you think it takes a new hire in your org to get set up? And they say, oh, I don't know, three to four weeks. And then we dig deeper and we ask more questions and we look at baseline data and it actually takes seven to nine months, which is really long, yeah. right? So using Eddie and this kind of onboarding actually will cut that down by 3x. So that's a little bit more about how Eddie works. Right. I mean, that's phenomenal. Eddie sounds like the friend we never had, right? And the friend, <laughs> the friend. So. yeah. Yeah, He's the friend. Yeah. Eddie's any sort of voice, we, we actually ran it through, um, you know, several different engineering leaders, several different new hires to help us hone that language. Yeah. So it actually feels like a peer. It, it doesn't feel like a bot or, you know, when you get onto some website and a marketing bot is talking to you, it doesn't feel like that, actually. Right. It feels like a person who's here to help you. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm, I'm so thrilled with it from another perspective as well, because now that everyone's working remotely, you know, I, I do feel, you know, with our teams and, you know, even with when we work with our clients, I see this element of, you know, loneliness creeping in. And it's, in fact, become a, a part of everyone's lives, right? So we are staring at computer screens and, you know, just somebody across, you know, 10,000 miles away is expecting me to do something. And we do get to a point where, you know, it feels like I'm just supposed to deliver you know, uh, number one, number two, number three, number four, nobody cares. So, I mean, some of the features that you, you know, spoke about is the fact that Eddie checking in to see whether, you know, you uh, need some help and all of those things would, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like, uh, you know, some kind of a uh, help that people normally don't receive. It's, it's just, it, it is getting very lonely. We've had a lot of our young engineers uh, over the last 12 to 16 months, you know, we've seen uh, how challenged they feel. And it's just like, you know, the, the, the Zoom fatigue or the burnout and everything. So I think, so that's, that's an element that's quite fascinating as well. But before I forget, there was a question I wanted to ask you uh, based on what you mentioned. And it's the fact you mentioned that the engineering manager can you know, sort of customize the onboarding, uh, you know, let's say with 100, uh, with the checklist with, let's say, 100 points or something. Now, uh, are there any sort of templates that they can use in the sense that, you know, uh, because I, I do feel you mentioned 400 uh, points across four categories. So that's a lot. I mean, I, I, I guess a lot of 
uh, you know, engineering managers would, right? So we go through this all the time in terms of, you know, not people not doing smooth handovers and, you know, and so there are a lot of things slip through the cracks. So are there templates that uh, they can use? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked. So we actually um, preload Eddie with a template. Um, And so the the default is actually to do a template that we've built with learning science best practices and engineering best practices. So you can be sort of assured and guaranteed that um, even if you don't customize your plan, um, it's going to be a good onboarding experience for your new hire um, because people are busy and they are overwhelmed. Um, and it, it does make it difficult uh, when you're just presented with all of this information. How should I organize it? And that's I think it's one of the, the sort of things that's close to my heart about this product and this company is that. I truly believe that um, engineering managers are trying to do the best thing for their new hire, right? right. And oftentimes they're not necessarily, um, not by anybody's fault, but they don't necessarily get the support that they need to to really you know, manage engineers in the best way possible. Oftentimes an engineer becomes an engineering manager because that was the, sort of the next career step. Um, and much as, like I said earlier, much as I love them, they're often not people people either. Mm-hmm. And so we we sort of see that at Edify and build built the product with that in mind to help engineering managers uh, just sort of kick it off immediately and not have to worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's very important uh, that you pointed that out as well, right? Because we can't expect them to be absolutely... Uh, you know, people's person and, you know, like in the sense, some of them are, some of them are not. And, you know, some of them come from engineering backgrounds themselves. So they may understand the problems, but I've seen that a lot of them sometimes lack the patience (laughs) to deal with some of the younger engineers. And because, you know, also they uh, have dealt with a lot of these problems themselves. So they feel that why can't this person do it? You know? So I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that the product is built, uh, keeping a certain personality type, although we should not be generalizing, you know, we have met some really empathetic and compassionate uh, uh, engineering, uh, engineering managers as well. Uh, The other thing I wanted to ask is how does Eddie fit into the overall uh, sort of setup of, let's say a project management tool. Then you have a tool like Slack or something, uh, you know, because we've had, you know, this debate, an ongoing debate, a rather democratic debate, which never sort of comes to any conclusion about what's the best tool or which are the best set of tools. So how do you see that sort of uh, fitting into the ecosystem of so many tools that already exist in our lives? Yeah, I I think that is a fabulous topic of conversation because you see so many interesting tools, especially in developer productivity and the in the dev tool category um, around helping engineers become more productive or have kind of a happier work life, um, especially in DevOps or you know continuing improvement. And it is overwhelming, right, for an engineering team to kind of look at, well, I have Slack for this, I have GitHub for that, I have the Atlassian tools, Jira and Confluence for these things. Um, And then I have 20 other tools, not to mention I have, you know, 40 Slack channels that I'm a part of, right? And we actually designed Eddie to be uh, from a technical standpoint, what we call headless. And that's because uh, we, we didn't want any other sort of UI or dashboard that a, an engineering manager or a new hire had to log into because there's just so many things that they have to log into. 
Um, and they're getting so many notifications that it can be really difficult to focus. Right. And so that's actually why we designed it to live inside of their chat tool, like Slack or Microsoft Teams. Um, and we actually are building, we've gotten some excellent feedback from our early customers. Um, and so we will be launching a web dashboard specifically for the manager's needs, but it's very closely linked with their actual chat with Eddie inside of Slack. Um, and so because of that design principle behind the whole product, we can integrate with any tool, right? You right. can drop in a Jira ticket, you can drop in Confluence page, a GitHub repo, anything that you need. And you actually don't have to do any integration hooking up Eddie to uh, anything other than Slack. And so it's pretty, um, I would say agnostic to whatever your tech stack is. Um, and one of the things that we are looking forward to doing is actually allowing Eddie to give back data and interesting insights uh, to that engineering manager, even to the new hire and even to HR, uh, so that the engineering team doesn't have to be bothered to report back some of these key information points. Um, they can just do their work. Right. So, uh, you know, when you describe Eddie more and more, I, I just wonder if it's more than just an onboarding tool, right? So in the sense that uh, it, it does seem like, you know, if it's it's becoming a part of an engineer's everyday life or like, you know, engineering team's everyday life, then do you feel that it can replace some of the tools, maybe some of the project management tools, which I believe have been hugely ineffective, a lot of them. And, uh, you know, we've tried like dozens of them. Uh, so so do you do you see that happening? Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm I'm just so excited that you even think that because it actually is very much our vision. So at Edify, our vision is to become the operating system for a high-performing engineering team. So we, our our future, our ideal is that if you are a high-functioning engineering team, you are absolutely using Edify, um, right. just in the same way that most engineering teams are using sort of the the big names like. Uh, GitHub for their code management or Atlassian for other parts of their project. Um, a lot of those tools don't solve all of the problems of the engineering team, right? They're very point solution oriented. Yes. And so the way that we want to become that operating system is in the same way that when you open up your computer or your laptop, you don't feel your OS. If you're using a Microsoft OS or an Apple OS or Linux, you shouldn't necessarily feel it. It just allows your other programs to run. And yeah. so we actually want Eddie to do that inside of whatever tool you're using, right? So if you're on Slack, Eddie could give you insights about, well, here are all of the answers or all of the facets of knowledge, subject matter experts, relevant code snippets, anything that you need related to this query that you made, right? Or Eddie's reminding you, hey, your performance management, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one is coming up for your annual review. Here are all the accomplishments that you've done over this past year. Do you want to talk about them with your manager? Um, or it's helping in reverse, helping the manager actually say, oh, wow, this new hire who has become this kind of long-term engineer here, here they, they, they would be a great promotion candidate, you know? So we want to see Eddie grow across the engineer's life cycle from recruiting all the way to offboarding. Absolutely. And I, I really do feel that, uh, you know, somebody, whoever can build a truly effective CRM system and a project management tool would be one of the wealthiest people alive in our lifetime. <laughs> so, because I haven't seen a good one, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, and one of the things I find and, you know, uh, 
wow, I didn't know I had such strong opinions about, uh, you know, CRM systems. But one of the things that I find is the way a lot of these tools, you know, treat uh, engineers or people, you know, using these tools as just, you know, people who should be assigned tasks and you just check their progress and assign tasks and check their progress, you know. And I, I remember I was in one of the earlier uh, episodes of the podcast, I was speaking to, you know, the CEO of a software as a service company. And he was, I said, which project management tool do you use? And he said, it doesn't matter if you have really smart people and they know what's expected of them. You don't need that. And and and, and it's so funny. I've always believed that. But then, you know, all these tools are imposed on us and it feels like, oh, if you're not adopting these tools, you're, you know, uh, sort of lagging behind or something. And then five people on your team start recommending some of these tools. But if you ask me, I haven't seen the arrival of any tool really significantly improving our processes. So, you know, it's always about high quality people. And so one of the things that I find very interesting when you talk about Eddie is the fact that, you know, it seems like a product which is built, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of, you know, an engineering team and what are some of the things that they go through, you know, from onboarding and because the problem starts with onboarding, right? So, uh, and, and the fact that I think if we respect them enough, to know what it is that they want and if we try to help them rather than just trying to make them accountable, right? So all the tools that we see are just trying to make people accountable without giving them the information that they need or, you know, whatever, uh, bringing them up to speed on any project. So that that, that sounds very sort of promising and, and I, I do hope uh, that, uh, you know, that Eddie is uh, that tool, like you mentioned, the operating system that becomes an essential part of high performance uh, engineering team. So uh, coming to your own journey, right? Because it seems like obviously you were an engineer and, you know, so obviously, you know, you understand the space very well. And so how has the entrepreneurial journey been for you so far? Because, you know, a completely different set of challenges, uh, you know, uh, maybe you can share your experience here. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there was one thing that you said just now uh, that really struck me too, and which was, you know, Edify has, has absolutely designed with our customer. And I think that that's actually, it shouldn't be unique to Edify. I think every product, whether it's a software product or something else, you need to be designing with your customer before you even write any code. And I think that's one of the reasons it's been easy for us to get up and running and get customers on the product um, as a startup is because of that. And so I love that you brought that up. Um, But thank you absolutely for asking about my journey too. So um, I'll give you the the short version, um, which essentially, you know, I have a background that might be a little bit strange sounding, but it's in um, museum education and art history. So pretty liberal arts and far away from engineering. And um, in that, though, I specialized in adult learning. So I was very, you know, interested and passionate about how adults learn as opposed to how children learn, mm-hmm. um, how they learn in non-traditional environments, so outside of a classroom. And I, I spent a lot of time working in museums as an educator, uh, even working in nonprofits as an educator and curriculum designer. And eventually, I I started in my first sort of for-profit job, which was actually at a web development agency. And um, I had no qualifications for this. I'm not sure why they hired me, but um, I was doing their business development. So I was writing proposals. Maybe that's maybe it's the art history that why they hired me because I could write. Um, But 
So I, I was doing uh, sales essentially for these large consulting projects um, to build apps and websites. And I actually loved the work. I loved working with our customers and trying to understand what they needed. Um, and I was often finding that our engineers didn't really understand exactly what the customers needed because like you said earlier, they were sort of just order takers and that was how the company had set it up for them. And I felt like something was wrong with that. Yeah. And so I, I was trying to shift that paradigm at the company. And unfortunately it was, it was not my favorite place to work. It was a little bit volatile and a little bit stressful in ways that I didn't feel like were sustainable for me. And so back in 2014, I decided, you know, I'm going to give myself a choice. You can either be a waitress and quit this job, or you can start a business and quit this job because I really didn't want to get another job. I just felt like either I had an authority problem or, or something. I just didn't want to work for somebody else anymore. And I uh, was not a really good waitress when I was in high school and college. And so I thought, you know, probably should start a business since that's my only other option. And uh, that's when I started my first company, which was a services, you know, consulting company. And so I spent almost seven years building that company. And I was fortunate enough to work for technology organizations all over the world um, for AWS Elemental and OpenSky, Alibaba and Puppet and all kinds of organizations. And so I got exposed to a lot of different types of engineering organizations mm -hmm. um, and a lot of different ways of working and started to first have these ideas for the product probably back in 2018 and kind of let them go, put them on the shelf for a while. Mm. And then speeding up to kind of late 2019, I realized that, you know, this actually had a lot of legs. And I started to talk to old customers about the idea of software. And um, for lack of a better, you know, story, I essentially asked them, would you pay less for a software solution that was better than I was as a consultant? Mm -hmm. And I kind of worked through, I literally paper product, prototyped with them, drawing it on uh, notebook paper. And it got enough traction with those old customers in my old business that I decided to stop consulting and start a new business and basically bootstrap the first version of our startup uh, or our software with the revenues of that old company. So I started that new company in early 2020, um, so fairly recently, and we started to prototype more with customers and test and test and test. Um, eventually, we came up with a very, very specific set of MB MVP requirements, and we started to write code. And from the moment we wrote code to the moment we had early customers was only four months, so it was pretty quick. Um, and that, you know, just led us to this opportunity to uh, raise venture capital and be in, in a, an accelerator, Techstars Seattle, um, and then to get even more customers and to continue to iterate with, with our customers. And that's been really core to our process is trying to understand, okay, what is the true experience of an engineering manager, a new hire, an existing team member, and how can we continue to make their lives better? So that's really what my journey has been like. Um, there's all kinds of colorful experiences that have happened along that, but that's the overview. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes not having too many choices in life uh, leads to the best possible outcome, right? So I think that that worked out quite well, uh, didn't it? So, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, you can, what do you think has been the biggest challenge, right? I mean, so somebody, uh, I was reading something the other day and it said, uh, it's a bit extreme, but it said being an entrepreneur is like waking up every morning and 
uh, eating glass. Now, I, I won't, <laughs> I won't say it's that bad for you know any listeners trying to quit their jobs and trying to you know take that road. Uh, it's not that scary. Yeah, I mean it's challenging. Every day brings a lot of challenges. So, what's been the biggest challenge for you, and what's been the most enjoyable part for you in this journey? Yeah, I I would agree with you. I don't think that it feels like eating glass, but I do. I, you know, I will say that there are absolutely days that are trying and and scary or frustrating. You know, I have certainly been in the place where I didn't know if I was going to have enough money for payroll. I have certainly been in the place where. Um, I didn't know what to do next or I didn't, you know, my old business, I didn't deliver something that a customer wanted or there was a miscommunication and things are hard. It's, it's confusing, but um, that, that actually ties in. I'll, I'll answer your kind of second part first, which is it's the most fun I have ever had in a professional career. Right. And um, what I love is not just one single moment, but it's all of the moments that allow me to experiment. That's what I love about being an entrepreneur is I can wake up one day and have an idea and go talk to my team. And, and sometimes they'll tell me, you know, that that's totally a ridiculous idea. Kristen, we're not going to do that. Um, and sometimes they're like, oh man, we've never, we haven't thought about that. Let's try it. And that's what it boils down to is you can just try anything. And I love it. You can try anything for almost free. Basically nowadays you can prototype anything. You can run an AB test. You can do all kinds of exciting things and just get so much insight. Um, and I, I honestly feel like I am learning at the speed of light every single day. I'm just learning something new. And so that, that sort of, um, challenge and, and that experience keeps me happy and excited and makes me feel nimble. And I just love doing that. On the flip side of it, that that challenging experience, um, I named a few of them, but, you know, I, I'll kind of think back to um, probably the first time that we had uh, a negative comment from a beta tester last year. Um, and, you know, the first time you always want your product to be perfect. You want it to solve all of their needs. You you hope that you listen to them and it, it, you produced it you know, exactly to their specifications. And the reality is you can never do that, right? There, there's, you can get very close, but then needs might change or situations might shift. And, you know, the first time I read a negative comment, I was sort of heartbroken and like, oh my gosh, I've totally failed. And so that's sort of indicative to me of some of the biggest challenges of being an entrepreneur, which is there are very high highs and there are low lows, right? And so you can do those, that, that emotional journey, the roller coaster in an hour or a day or a week, it can move and change very quickly. So if you're a person who is not that comfortable with that kind of volatility, probably being an entrepreneur is not the thing that you would like doing the most. But if you are comfortable with, you know, literal and figurative roller coasters, then, then you'll probably be fine. Yeah, I I think yeah you uh, you know sort of uh, crystallized it really well you know in the sense that you do learn a lot right there's a lot of learning every day you know thousands of things and and it's it's challenging you can't please everyone you know sometimes you do look like an absolute fool with your optimism but I think it takes a certain kind of individual to be an entrepreneur so you know so yeah you're right if somebody sort of uh, prefers the stability and you know living in the comfort zone then entrepreneurship is definitely not for them now you know although 
you know, I was speaking to somebody the other day and, you know, he said the highs uh, remain rather high and the lows are not as low as you progress and as you sort of, you know, make the company grow. And so that's encouraging for sort of new entrepreneurs who feel like, oh, my God, is the rest of my life going to be like this? No, it's not. It's going to get better or terribly uh, worse. (laughs) And then you can just start something else. But yeah, I mean, usually it does get better. So uh, tell me, how does an organization, I mean, if they want to implement uh, Eddie on their, you know, system or in their ecosystem? How do they do that? What's the business model? Uh, is it a freemium model? Is there a trial that they can uh, explore? How, how does it work? Absolutely. Great, great questions. So um, Eddie is actually, you know, as of this recording, um, still in beta, but um, we will be GA, so general availability launched um, at the end of March, so March 31st. So at that time, you will be able to actually purchase the product self-serve, so you don't actually have to go through uh, anybody at the company if you wanted to. Um, But most of our customers actually um, we meet with their CTO or their VP of engineering or some of their engineering managers. Um, and often the, the very first way that they try it out is putting it in just one team. And I think one thing is important to recognize anytime you're bringing in software and, and you talked a lot about kind of some of the heartburn around project management tools and other tools that often feel like they've been put down, you know, pushed on to a team. And we didn't want Edify to feel that way. And so one of the ways that we kind of manage our business is trying to get um, one new hire's life to be better. And so we, instead of trying to go to the whole company and say, you have to change, you have to use Edify for onboarding your engineers. Of course, that all sounds good. Like everything you and I have talked about, of course, you know, we would want engineers, you know, to, to be on this and engineering managers to do it. But change is, is really hard. And oftentimes people are uh, used to whatever they're using. And so we usually start with one new hire and then it expands throughout the organization uh, once they get comfortable with it. Um, and we do have a free plan and that allows teams to onboard uh, one person a quarter. And so that's often a really good choice for smaller organizations that are not growing as quickly. Um, And then we also have a premium plan that allows an organization to um, hire for a kind of a number of seats, um, however many new hires they want to bring in in that year. um, And so they can buy a number of seats. Um, And then we also have an enterprise plan that allows uh, us to work more closely with a larger organization and design something very specific uh, to them in, in terms of what their onboarding plan needs inside of the software. Sure. Sounds exciting. Uh, can't wait to try it out. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, uh, the other thing I wanted to check, you mentioned, uh, you know, something about adult learning. Uh, and, you know, that's an area of huge interest for me and a lot of, you know, our listeners who are obviously rather grown up and, you know, but uh, are keen learners. So what are some of your, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the way they learn and not uh, you know, the conventional way of classroom learning or something. And I've seen actually, I was speaking with the CTO of a company the other day who went back to school, you know, he wanted to learn something and he had the worst experience ever. And then he just didn't even finish the you know program that he had gone for. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, what are some of the ways that you believe, you know, that adults learn better? 
Yeah. Gosh, I'm sorry to hear about, about that person. It is really frustrating when I see, especially, you know, graduate programs or continuing ed programs that aren't even using the most up-to-date neuroscience and science of how people learn. Um, because as ironic as it's going to sound, it's not rocket science. Um, and it's, it's actually pretty easy to implement some of these adult learning principles. Mm. Um, but one of the things that's really different actually about how adults learn as opposed to how children learn, um, is that adults need to be involved in the process of learning in a different way. And so adults need to choose number one, they need to decide that they want to learn something so that there's a motivation involved. Um, number two, they actually need to be involved in the process of hearing the information, designing possible solutions, uh, testing them out, and then applying and, and synthesizing that information. And that's actually coming from a, a really sort of well-known concept in adult learning called Bloom's Taxonomy. And it's essentially this pyramid that helps us think about going from sort of basic level thinking and cognition to higher order thinking. And um, it's a, a process by which we can think about chunking out information and helping adults um, understand each piece at a different level. So you really start with just basic understanding and, and remembering like one plus one equals two. And then you go through these six levels all the way up to evaluation, which is the ability for somebody, most, you know, adult learners to think about, is that information valuable to me? Is it true? Is it something that I want to put into my long-term memory, essentially? And a lot of this is happening very subconsciously. We're not, you know, aware like, oh, I'm in the third stage of Bloom's taxonomy, so I'm analyzing, right? That's not what's happening. These things are happening quietly in the background. And literally everybody who's listening probably does this on a daily basis, dozens of times a day. When you go to YouTube and you look for how to unclog a sink, right? Or you go and think, you know, how do I change a tire? Or how do I do this? Or you go to Stack Overflow and you're like, well, what do I do with this, this function? That is that process. You have the desire, you have the interest, you are reading often or watching. So you're using a couple of different formats of learning and then you're going and trying it and seeing if it fails or if it works and trying again. Um, and so if you are designing learning experiences or a product that is designed to teach people something, you really do need to be paying attention to these principles of adult learning. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what stage <laughs> I am in, but yeah, I mean, that's that's really fascinating. I mean, I mean in the sense that, and I think it becomes uh, even more relevant, especially, you know, we are living in a gig economy. People talk about, you know, there'll be more than a billion digital nomads, you know, that learning sort of will have to continue. Things are becoming uh, very dynamic. I mean, uh, increasingly so in the sense what was, you know, what, you know, it's not a question of, oh, I learned this 25 years back and now I'm going to retire with that information. No, you, we have to stay relevant. So, you know, that's that's uh, really fascinating. And, you know, I, I would love to learn more about adult learning because I do feel that, you know, some of the times I... I am not very uh, good at 
picking up new things and trying to, you know, learn a few things. So what's next, uh, Kristen, in terms of, uh, you know, for your organization, what are some of the goals that you're setting? What are the things that you are looking forward to the most? Obviously, you know, general availability being one of them, I'm sure. But as an entrepreneur, as uh, somebody who's, you know, running a team, uh, what are some of the things that you are absolutely looking forward to, uh, you know, on a on an entrepreneurial level and and the one thing that i try and ask a lot of people is because your product and your business uh, impacts people's lives and especially since the lives have gone remote what's your prediction of what the future workforce will be like or the working model will be like Yeah, I love both of those questions. So in terms of what's next for us and what I'm looking forward to, um, it's most, you know, around product and team. And we are actually growing. We're um, hiring for a few roles now at Edify. And so I'm really excited to watch our team grow um, and to continue to nurture us. Um, I I love that process as a CEO and, and, and as a founder. Um, and so that's that's really exciting and important to me. Also, our product, our customers are amazing, and I'm I'm so happy to have them because they're so active in helping us design what is next in terms of the product. So we're already working on things post onboarding, like what we've talked about earlier today. And so that's really exciting, just seeing the product evolve. Um, and you know, like I said earlier, with the the sort of joys of entrepreneurship. Um, I don't really know what's going to happen in a year or two years or five years. And so I I kind of wake up every day excited about whatever I do today, having an impact in a couple of years. Um, And I just don't know what that is yet. Um, So that's that's very exciting for me. Um, And on the other hand, your your second question about predictions. I I love this question. Um, I think that we are not even post-COVID, post-vaccination, I don't think that we're going back to 100% office work. I think that the future of work that we'd all been talking about for five or 10 years, even prior to COVID, where people said, well, digital nomadism is going to happen and and the freelance economy, the gig economy, all of that's going to happen. People are going to work from home. And I don't think that business as a whole, this is a broad generalization, but I don't think business believed people. You know, I don't I don't think people wanted to agree that eventually this was going to happen. Right. And there are so many huge upsides to this, of course, lack of commuting, um, you know, reduces pollution. It's more accessible and equitable for people to, to often work from home. Um, there's so many upsides of it. There, are, of course, are challenging things. You have to make sure that you communicate well and you have systems for that kind of communication. Um, but I think that we're going to continue this and we're going to continue to see the sort of mobility of talent. And I'm really excited about, of course, because I run my company out of the United States, I'm starting to see companies be more comfortable hiring talent in other countries. And that's really exciting to me, too. I think that's going to be a, a chief way that we will build more diverse, more interesting, more productive and successful companies is when you start to see companies where the norm is, well, we have engineers from Nigeria and Brazil and Singapore and all kinds of different companies, and we're all communicating really well and really healthily. So I think that that is going to be, those are, I guess, a couple of predictions for the continued future of work. Absolutely. I look forward to a world which is more diverse and where uh, it's, you know, everything's more, you know, uh, based on merit. And, you know, as somebody 
some, you know, said that geography can be destiny, you know, and it had been the case. So just because you're born in a country and you probably didn't have all the resources, I think technology has actually democratized things more than any other thing ever has. And, you know, so, and so, you know, I know people tend to be a bit pessimistic about what uh, technology is bringing into our lives. And of course, yes, some of those things can be avoided or we need to learn to live with some of those things. But I think uh, overall is really giving opportunity to people from, you know, all across the world, right? So even if you look at vaccinations, so for instance, uh, you know, the 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 level of inequality is uh, crazy in the world so i think there's a lot to sort of cheer when it comes to technology and how it's doing a lot to bring uh, you know that equality into the world so and you know and it's the engineers who are building those uh, wonderful technologies and i'm so glad that uh, you are helping those engineers and you're helping those engineering teams. And uh, I hope Eddie is the buddy that everyone had been waiting for. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Kristen Buchanan. It was an absolute pleasure speaking to you today.